here. What up? This is Nate Hussler introducing Johnny Caps from Plus One Records, who's actually introducing your morning coffee podcast with Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music biz. Peace. From Trapital, how the music industry can increase its overall revenue. From Billboard, how much could songwriter royalties grow? A look at three scenarios. From Music Business Worldwide, Sir Lucian Grange on music streaming growth, catalog deals, and the balance of power with DSPs. And from Hypebot, seven important takeaways from the DIY Musician Conference 2022. Well, Jay, we are talking money. We are talking artists. We have so much to cover today. It feels a little bit like fall, not brutal heat like we had last week. So this is a, a wonderful day here in Southern California. So folks, join us. It's episode 110 of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. And Jay and I are going to start the ball rolling right about now. Stand by for transmission. This is London calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Jay, so good to see you. Very nice. So to good see you, to see friend. you. Indeed. We had to do that intro a few times because we're both uh, <laughs> not quite awake or uncaffeinated, if that's a word. Um, special uh, thank you to uh, rapper Nate Husser for that that cool intro. Um, you heard a little bit of the music Dwayne Carter Flow, and that's a track that went uh, viral in June. Uh, pretty cool. Yep. Thanks, Nate. Uh, thank you, Nate. And uh, introducing Johnny Cops. Uh, very cool. And um, yeah. man, there, there's, there's, there were, I mean, say, I say this every week, but there were so many great stories. And this thing about scenarios and where, you know, income can, can be going if certain things happen. We're going to get to that, but it was really fascinating. I'm really excited to, to, kind of have conversations about these stories this week yeah so many great stories you know we say this a lot it's an embarrassment of riches um it's it's sad that we can't do this every single day because i know you and i would love to do that there's never any shortage of really great uh journalism to talk about um 
But uh, yeah, be, before we uh, get started, um, let's talk about our our sponsors, yes. um, the Your Morning Coffee podcast. Uh, this episode is brought to you by our good friends over at Trapital. Uh, Trapital host Dan Runcie sits down with some of the best minds in music, seriously, uh, media, culture. You'll gain insights and lessons learned from the biggest moguls in the industry. In-depth discussions that break down recent moves, tough decisions, and plans for the future. Dan has interviewed iconic guests like Master P, Issa Rae, Rick Ross, Steve Stout, and many more. And last Friday, Dan dropped uh, the second appearance by comedian Roy Wood Jr. You don't want to miss that. He's very thoughtful, but he's also hilarious. So listen and subscribe to Trapital wherever you listen to podcasts and sign up for the weekly newsletter. Absolutely. Dan is the man. Uh, we yep. also want to say a big thanks to our good friends over at Banzoogle. Built for musicians, built by musicians for musicians, Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in. Hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go over to bandzoogle.com to try it free for 30 days and use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code MORNINGCOFFEE. Ah, yes. And we're also brought to you by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music business and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. Edited daily by our friend Bruce Houghton. Thank you, Bruce. With help from Alana Bonilla, HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. Uh, speaking of Bands in Town, over 65 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist services platform, connecting over 550,000 artists with their superfans. Managers, labels, agencies, artists, me, Mike, we all access our own dashboard to manage and promote tour dates across all platforms. Indeed. Big thanks to Trapital, Banzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. Boy, we are so lucky to have those folks. Uh, we stand on all of their shoulders, and, and I apologize because I had a big <laughs> meal last night, so I'm a little heavier than I usually am, but we, we do appreciate that. And Jay, yes, we I, do. I can tell your arms are tired because you just got back from Nashville. Oh my gosh. Brother, what an amazing week in Nashville for Americana Fest. It's uh, one of my favorite uh, kind of uh, gatherings each year. Such great music. We had such a great week. Um, just uh, the highlights. Um, I moderated a panel with some badass uh, artist managers, Amber Bice, Stephen Foxbury, Sharon Corbett, Ian Thompson. We did this panel on strategies for DIY artists, and it was, it was absolutely amazing. A lot of uh, experience um, at that table, and I was honored to uh, moderate that. Um, also I attended this symphonic distribution housewarming jam with, oh man, the artists they had there, Alicia Blue, uh, Tony Luca, and of course, you know, my favorite, the accidentals, lots of VIPs in the room from all areas of the business, uh, special shout out to my man, Randall Foster and his wonderful team at symphonic for putting on such a star studded, uh, event. It was awesome. 
Fun, 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 man. I wish I would could have been there. And then uh, I think we were maybe texting each other about the the Ghost Spotify Live event that kind of uh, kind of went a little now, sideways. That wasn't that, of course, wasn't part of no. Uh, I'm sorry, no, Americana no, Fest it was not. And, and I do want I do want to definitely cover that. But let me say one last mm-hmm. thing on uh, Americana Fest really quickly is I had the honor to attend a private event at the Country Music Hall of Fame. And if you haven't been there, it's a stunning uh, venue, building, everything. It's amazing. Um, I saw one of the most incredible performances of my life, um, seriously, with um, four songwriters. It was Mike Reed, Georgia Middleman, Sav Beist, and Katie Larson. Now, Mike Reed... I remembered him because he was a former NFL player with the Bengals, but he's also this superstar songwriter. He wrote that song, I Can't Make You Love Me. Remember that? Oh, it was recorded by God, I love that know, song. The Bonnie Raitt hundreds version, of, of artists. Course, yeah. Yes. Hundreds of people have covered this. You're right. Bonnie Raitt was the the big one, but you know, George Michael recorded it. Mm-hmm. Adele recorded yes. it. So that was Mike Reed. He was sitting on the piano. Amazing, right? Then there was uh Georgia Middleman, and she's written dozens of amazing songs she co-wrote um randy or radney foster's hit i'm in which you might remember keith urban also recorded Mm -hmm. and then of course sav bice and katie larson from the accidentals sav took top honors during the 15th annual songwriter serenade in schulenburg texas in may this last year first place um she was chosen from among 15 semifinalists in the songwriter competition by a panel of judges and if you get a chance, listen to the track City View um, off of uh, Vessel. It is phenomenal. And when you have people like Mike Reed and Georgia Middle- Middleman and others saying, uh, kid, this is some of the best songwriting I've ever heard. Trust me, you need to check it out. So that's a kind of a wrap-up of Americana Fest. If you've never been there, I highly recommend it. So many great bands the the last band that i saw kind of at the um at the city winery was a band called troubadour blue and i hadn't heard of them before and it's a three-piece mm-hmm. um and there's a female she plays uh i, I always say violin but it, i guess they call it a fiddle <laughs> right is there a difference tomato, Somebody tomato. Tell me. no it's the okay. same instrument okay fine yeah okay uh, a stradivarius fiddle and uh <laughs> exactly. and there was a, a gentleman who sang lead and, and another guitar player, and they were their vocal harmonies were stunning. And I, I, when they started playing, the whole room quieted down so everybody could hear these uh, amazing harmonies. And I was riveted, and I went up to the lead singer afterwards, and we had a conversation. And I mean, I'm I'm a fan, so check out True well, and, 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 and when you go to Nashville, it's just the talent there is so absurd in general. I mean, it's just. And and it's a, a good point. And it's a relatively small area, and so you just it, it feels even more immersive. Like you are just it's just music twenty four seven and crazy talent. And of course, world it's a, class, world class, and it's a town, uh, you know, historically and and today still built around songwriting and 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 that process. Yeah. And and slightly different than other genres, you know, there, there's a, it's much more like the, 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 uh, it's much more collaborative. Yes. But it's also much more like the olden days where, uh, there, there's kind of a, not a line between, but, but it, the country music in general has a lot more outside songwriters, not necessarily songs written by the band members themselves, or there's that rich history of that. So you've got sure. this unbelievably rich 
history and heritage of songwriting. And, and yeah. like you said, the and collaborative, uh, just the way everybody kind of works together. It's just, it's a yeah. fun place to visit. And it's depressing if you're a musician because there's so well, damn many remember, talented people. You know, we've talked about this uh, documentary several times, but it, it bears repeating because it's so good. It's called It All Begins With a Song. And I yeah. think it's on Amazon um, Prime. And if you want to see how the Nashville songwriter ecosystem works, you know, these superstar songwriters like Brett James and take a look at that documentary because it just shows you that there's no luck involved. You know, Brett James likes to say, you know, people think of songwriters as like, you know, they, you know, they arrive late, you know, they smoke a bowl and they throw together a hit and then they're done for the month or whatever. But no, what they do is, you know, they get up every morning and they go yes. to the office and they co-write and they work and they work. Then they go to lunch and then they have an afternoon session. I think it's usually like 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. And they do that five days a week, year after year after year. And they all collaborate and co-write with each other. And some people are better with stories and hooks. And there's a, a great interview we did with Brett James for Behind the Set List where he tells the stories about these songs and how they came about. And there was one situation, you need to hear the podcast to get it, but where he did a co-write with uh, an artist and they wrote two number one hits in one day after being hung over. Oh my so, God. Well, and it reminds yeah. me, having this conversation reminds me of the Great Eagles documentary, which if you haven't oh, seen, you yes. got to see it, but they're, they're, uh, Glenn Fry is talking and, and in the early days of the Eagles, he lived above Jackson Brown. And, you know, he was just he he would hear Jackson Brown every morning, and he learned kind of about how Jackson Brown at that time worked, which was like you were saying, it was very deliberate and very focused, and you know there was no you know fooling around. You know, he, it was a, a very scheduled thing. He got up in the morning, he started writing songs, and Glenn yeah, the Fry teapot said, would go on, teapot, right? Exactly. He would hear the teapot, the teapot whistling, teapot. and That's then next right. thing you know, he, he's, he'd be at the piano working, 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 working through songs. And Glenn Fry said, "Oh, I get it. It's elbow grease, and it's right. The you harder know? I work, the luckier there I get." There you go. Exactly. So okay, so let's now let's talk about that okay, sorry uh, about ghost. That no, no, no. Uh, so Ghost was supposed to do if you don't know the band Ghost they're they're amazing their new album is Impera and I it's been in heavy rotation anybody who's been around me the last uh, month or two has uh, gotten sick of hearing me talk about this band but um, <laughs> it's I mean uh, Tobias Forge is kind of the Tom Schultz of this era and you may have dismissed them like I did because of the appearance and when you go in and listen to the musicianship and all of that, they are absolutely amazing. But anyway, they did this Spotify Live. Now, Spotify Live is a separate app. Think Clubhouse. Remember mm -hmm. Clubhouse? It yeah. blew up during the pandemic, mm -hmm. right? So they did a Spotify Live. So I went on to kind of check this out. So that was last Tuesday. And fans of the band crashed the Spotify Live servers as they waited for a special Q&A session with, with Tobias Forge forcing the event to be canceled. Spotify Live said overwhelming demand had caused technical difficulties. And they said, quote, we want to sincerely apologize to all of the at the band ghost fans. Um, they, they wanted to apologize. My only complaint was as I was there witnessing this, no one came on to say what the heck was happening. And there was a user that had uh, a username I'm trying to remember what it was. I think it was Goat. And if you know Ghost, there's a song called uh, uh, Goat or Go, Go, Goat, 
whatever it was, forget it. <laughs> I'm messing it up. Anyway, there's a song about a goat, and uh, everybody thought that that might be the event, and there was like over 500 people in that private thing, and we're all talking to each other like, what the heck is going on? There was no communication from anyone to say, look, we're having issues, we're going to postpone, we're going to cancel, whatever. Everybody just sat in there talking like, okay, and most of them were college students because they were saying, look, I got to get back to class or look, I ditched class for this. I got to go. And it was it was a little disappointing because we all were really looking forward to that conversation. Yeah. In their own Twitter post, Ghost said that though they were proud to have caused Spotify's service to crash, they were disappointed. Uh, in quotation marks, they say, we wish to inform you Ghost appreciates their, I'm sorry, we wish to inform you Ghost appreciates their fans' dedication and time, they wrote. Alternative opportunities are being explored because nothing shall keep us apart. <laughs> uh, I like that. that. I wish I would have seen that dirt you know last yeah. tuesday yeah that's it's well um, it's, it's i'm surprised that because spotify is pretty buttoned down i'm surprised they didn't weren't sort of prepared for that possibility and then if if at least had some sort of a you know a, a plan that if, if something plan. happens you know we at least need to communicate out what's going on and so whatever yeah. i don't know but look that's that's a rare misstep you know from our innovative friends over at spotify but uh, and again it was a separate app app Spotify Live, yeah, and just a little disappointing because we all really wanted to uh, to see that. Well, and now you mentioned your your other podcast behind the set list. Now you also had another interview with with a, a very interesting and cool band that have been around for a long time, which I will let you tell oh, us about. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Well, first of all, this behind the set list podcast I do with uh, Glenn Peoples and Billboard Magazine has just been a joy to interview artists about their set list. You know, Kurt Smith, Ann Wilson, Andy Grammer. You know, we've had some amazing conversations. We just went live, I think, last week with Michael Sweet uh, from Striper. I think that went live, or it's about to go live. And we've got some really great stuff lined up, so stay tuned. But the one we recorded this last week, um, we spoke with uh, Lee Lochnane and film director Peter Pardini. And what's interesting about that is that there's a new Chicago documentary uh, coming in a couple of weeks on September 30th called Last Band on Stage that Peter Pardini um, directed. Um, he also directed that other documentary that came out in 2016 on Chicago that was called Now More Than Ever, The History of Chicago. And if you haven't seen it, um, I, I highly recommend it. Um, these His work is phenomenal, and he gets things that nobody else will. So um, let's let's talk about what this, this documentary is. Yeah, so the last band on stage tells the unbelievable story of how the band Chicago has lasted 55 years without stopping recording or missing a year of touring. It's wow. Narr it's narrated by Joe uh, Montenegro. Uh, Monte Montaigne. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the film follows how Chicago dealt with COVID-19 and how the only thing that could stop the band from touring was a worldwide pandemic that stopped everyone. Right. Those guys I are mean, machines. Incredible. Always have been on the road. And it, yeah. amazing. Yeah. I mean, the hardest working band ever. And for decades, that's crazy. I mean, incredibly, Chicago was literally the last band on stage before the worldwide shutdowns began and they just happened to have a film crew with them and they documented all of this you know the film also chronicles the recording of their new album uh, this is their latest album uh, born for this moment as well as a song if this is goodbye 
the creation of that song leads to the band's realization that eventually they're going to have to stop. Yeah, hard to believe. The last band on stage is a celebration of the American musical institution known as Chicago, featuring candid interviews and footage that show the band and their humanity and musical genius that has inspired millions for over half a century. And uh, yeah, if you've ever seen them live, they are absolutely drop-dead fantastic, as you would expect a band that has been on the road for 55 years. And there's there's a lot of a lot of YouTube videos of them playing like in 1970, <laughs> 71, 72. And God, they were good. Just amazing body of work. Three and lead again, singers, you know, great. And, yeah. and, and the writing is split between so many of the different members of the band. It's really a remarkable and singing. Group. Yeah. And singing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an amazing uh, career. And again, this is a behind the set list. We speak with Lee Lochnane and uh, film director uh, Peter Pardini. And don't uh, don't miss this new documentary. It's coming out on Apple TV Plus uh, in two weeks, and it's called Last Band on Stage. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. So fun stuff. And we were talking just before we, again, we hit record, as we always do, um, yeah. about bands that have managed to kind of lose members and still remain, you know, or have these kind of phases of creativity where they just explode again. And Chicago has been one of those bands. I mean, they just, yeah. when you think about, I think the first album came out in 68 or 69. I mean, it's, you know, we're still having a conversation. Chicago Transit Authority. They were called CTA, exactly. And uh, yeah, really, really great stuff. And um, uh, I can't believe it's uh, that first documentary was in 2016. I would have sworn it was like year before last. And Well, I think the pandemic has warped our perception of time because I thought it came out like just a few years ago too. Crazy, crazy how time yeah. morphs on. But again, and, and yeah. as we will continue to talk about, it is the golden age of music documentaries. <laughs> you haven't seen all of them. You need yeah. to, you know, there's just so many great, great documentaries <laughs> out there on music. So yeah. do check it out. So uh, on that note, Jay, what do you say we actually jump into uh, our oh, to, to stories? All day. We can. Yeah. yeah. So as I, as I mentioned at the beginning, some really interesting conversations and articles about revenue and where this is all going. We're going to start with something from Trapital, how the music industry can increase its overall revenue. Um, but yeah. uh, it, it's it. I, I, I like talking about increased revenue. <laughs> Because well, I'll I'll take so, the first piece yeah, on here, and just just to um, kind of remind folks, Trapital, that's Dan Runcie, you know, a sponsor, a friend. We are big fans over here of Trapital, and if you're not subscribing to their newsletter, um, if you're not checking out the site, you know, what are you waiting for? It is absolutely the best. So I'm going to kick this article off. Um, he talks about growing the overall pie. The music industry has too many zero sum games. I love that. Uh, Record labels compete for market share. Artists compete for chart positions and playlist placement. Consumers pay a set price for an all-you-can-eat buffet of music. And despite the industry's growth in the streaming era, success can feel limited. Musicians are some of our most powerful cultural icons, but only a handful have captured the true value of all of their influence. Um, And you and I talk about this all the time, about the different revenue streams and the ways that you can monetize the music industry. It's just so different than it was. And and the challenge is threefold. It's, It's how the current system is designed, which impacts how performance is measured, and then dictates innovation. And while, quote-unquote, Web3 fixes this, right, uh, that's a common narrative for a solution. There's more to it than that. 
Well, and I want to say, you know, when we talk about success in the music industry, I, you know, the old measures of success are really, certainly they exist still. You know, you can have a, a chart success. You can have, you know, success in, in press or live success. But there's so many different ways to to have success now. And I think that's, when we talk about the new music business, that's really, to me, kind of one of the, the utmost things to, to, to reference. I, I think that's really important. And we, when we did that panel, the first thing we started with is, what is success? Mm-hmm. Because if you're a DIY artist, no, no two artists have the same idea of what success is. If you're a jazz artist... A lot of the jazz artists measure success by accolades and playing these great rooms, yeah. you know, like the Standard and Village Vanguard and things like that. They're, yes, they want to survive and make money, but those are some of their primary interests. Whereas other genres and moods are really focused more on streaming, for example. And we always say, you know, a playlist is not a marketing plan. Or they're focused primarily on growing they're touring. So, you know, the butts in the seats, like playing bigger cap rooms. So I'm glad that you mentioned success because there is no definition of what success is. It is what you say it is. Right. And I think as, as a, if you're an artist, you also have to, I mean, it, it requires an artist to do a lot more work, which is to, cause you know, you, you have to kind of look, you have to try different things and see what sticks. And that's, you know, again, it used to be so much easier. It's like, okay, record sold, chart success, and I'm out, on, I'm out on the road. Exactly. That's success, it. you know, and Simple. We, we got a video on MTV or it's songs on the radio. <laughs> right. But there's right. so many different things now. And I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's a, who's a talent agent, a booking agent, and um, <clears throat> he, was tell, he was talking about an artist. This artist has no hits, has never had any hits, has been in a couple of different bands, still is, is plays with a lot of different kind of combinations of people, and, but is a, a very um, astute and, and hardworking person. And they go out, it, everything they do is very strategic. And, and he is very financially successful. And it's so heartwarming to hear stories like that because he has figured out his place in the universe in this case. Yeah. And, and, and knows how to work within that spot. You know, he's not, he's not sad that he's not doing other things or, you know, whatever, but he's, he, he's doing what he's doing and he's yeah. having success in that. He's found his lane. Absolutely. That's a good way of saying it. he's found his lane. So, you know, as, as we talk about all these things in revenue, it's just, it's remarkable really how, how many different, opportunities exist for artists today um but right. you have to really be open to them and and kind of get rid of your yeah. perceived notions of what success is yeah and it used to be that having a killer sync uh license like having your song in a film a tv show a commercial and then later video games um early on remember neil young used to rail against that mm-hmm. it wasn't cool yeah and then all of a sudden some syncs came up with you know uh ipod commercials and and sting and a jaguar commercial and so on next thing you know people are making some decent revenue and it wasn't so uncool anymore and i think that's what's happening with a lot of things it's not just sync it's happening with experiences because of things like cameo and patreon and thrills.co uk and only fans and things like that things that maybe weren't really cool before now it's about survival now it's about finding your tribe and monetizing that 
in a way that's appropriate and has integrity. And that can mean a lot of different things. Yes, absolutely. And of course, sync now is the, the, the folks that work in those departments or the, the music supervisors that, that, that uh, swim in those oceans, they get hit up all the time. It, it is, it is so, it is so cool. And it is so, uh, such an important part of artist development now that those people yeah. really, really are, are on the really front lines. Be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah. It's interesting. And I, and I really like the way, again, you know, Dan is so smart and he's talking about, you know, again, you've, you've got to, you've got to think about success for you and what that means and all the different uh, things that are out there. But it's, it's a new music business, baby. It is so different than it used to be. Um, yeah. And there's so much innovation in all the different areas that he's talking about. And um, you, we just, it's, it's hard to be an artist now because there's just a lot of different ways to, to position yeah. yourself and to get to success. Right. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to make revenue. And he points out that, you know, last year, Andreessen Horowitz partner Chris Dixon uh, posted a thread about why recorded music revenue, when adjusted for inflation um, hasn't grown alongside new right. technologies. And that's really interesting. You know, he compared it to gaming where revenues have skyrocketed, you know, due to in-game purchases and, you know, free to play games like Fortnite and Roblox. His point is that the music industry focused too much on how to monetize and protect its content and hasn't focused enough on how to monetize the content, you know, the things that the content enables. Um, this is one of those pieces where we talk about a lot of these issues uh, in the music industry a lot. And I love how Dan has kind of broken these up and dispelled some myths and talks about, you know, things like how performance should be measured. Yes. And he talked about profitability, of course. And he says that that would be the best measure of success for the music industry. He said if all the business lines are included, music, live, merch, product sales, NFTs, multimedia, then what's the overall overall revenue minus costs, which is, of course, mm. how you how you basically look at, at the profitability of a business. But as right. he points out, he says, but companies don't share that data unless they have to. No record label wants to admit that a highly regarded album was actually a setback. No events promoter or artist wants to admit that they are not selling enough tickets. This isn't the film industry where movies are required to disclose budgets for filming permits or tax benefits. Instead, the music industry often relies on album sales, which is very limiting. But that's a really good point. That, there's a, there's a lot of really opaqueness. There's a lot of yeah. things you just can't see about the profitability in music. And that's Well, you just mentioned you know, these other businesses. Remember, I'll just use an example. You know, Waterworld, the movie came out, and they're like, oh my gosh, it cost millions to make, and it lost all these millions and... Can you imagine if each album that came out, oh. they, they said, oh, they invested this much in this album and its return was this? I mean, that will never happen in the music industry, but it would be shocking to see some of these albums. And I would imagine even a few successes that maybe they put, you know, I remember reading an article a while back about the Fleetwood Mac Tusk. And at the time they spent the most money they'd ever spent recording this double album. Yes. And um, immediately there were articles like, they will never recoup this. This is a big mistake, even with this hit artist. Now, of course, over time, of course, it's Fleetwood Mac. The art is fantastic. And of course, it made money. But at the time, it, it was the water world of, uh, 
of right. albums at the time. But th- this also reminds me of, you know, we talked about that great uh, Warner Brothers Records book um, and, and the passing Sonic of Mo- Boom. Sonic Boom. And uh, in that book, it mentions when Steve Ross bought Warner Studios, Warner Pictures, that had the Warner Music Group as part of it. He bought it at the time, like in this, oh, did he buy it? Late 60s and early 70s, I think. Um you know the music or the movie business was not doing very well, but he looked at the balance sheets and he saw that music was unbelievably profitable, and so he you know so that was a big reason he purchased Warner Brothers Studios is because those music companies were just bringing home the bacon, and but you would have to have those balance sheets to look at and, and really see the numbers and and again the the music industry is very opaque relative to the film industry or even the the interactive business the the games business so yeah it's a shame and that really uh, I, I don't see that changing in in the in the near future so it, yeah. it's it's when you try to compare apples to apples when it comes to music you just don't have some of the same information no. the the data points that that the film business right. interactive stuff has it's a it's a different business, right? I mean, I remember my dad having this conversation with me. He's like, uh, "Son, let me get this straight. So you guys are creating a product, right? And then you're going out not knowing if you're ever going to have demand for it and trying to get that demand." I'm like, "Yeah, yep. that's about right." <laughs> and he said that, you know, that's crazy. Like most businesses, they want to make sure that they create a demand for their product ahead of time mm-hmm. before going too deep in the manufacturing process. Um, so anyway, just to wrap that up, that's uh, how the music industry can increase its overall revenue. That's via Dan Runcie and Trapital. Um, again, subscribe to that newsletter. Check out his podcast, um, World Class Stuff. Yes, indeed. All right. The next one is really interesting. This is from our friend Glenn Peoples. This is in Billboard. How much could songwriter royalties grow? A look at three scenarios. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. So it starts, of course, publisher streaming royalties settlement will yield larger returns than the headline rate increase. How much larger depends on streaming growth? So we talked, of course, ad nauseum about these new uh, the, the royalties uh, going up a bit right. not a, yeah. not a ton but then this is kind of a breakdown on well let's see how much well can the devil's they grow. in the details yes, it right? is. yes it and is and you and I have definitely covered this uh, as well as anyone but this digs into the details and Glenn is so good at picking out you know why this means um, what it means and I'll, I'll let you kick it off but before I do um, this article came out after your morning coffee. The newsletter was sent out. I sent it out typically at about 5 a.m. every Friday. And this broke a little bit later in the day. And so it wasn't included. But I thought it was so important and so timely that I wanted to make sure that you and I talked about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So just a review. You know, for Phono Records 4, which we've been talking about, um, the new negotiated uh, rate, the royalty rate increase uh, with streaming services, it goes from 15.1% in 2023 to 1535 in 2027, adding up to 1.7% cumulatively. Now, that doesn't sound like a ton, 
But as Glenn says, no. but the real gains will depend on how much streaming growth occurs over this time. Ah, so he says, a, exactly. A handful of variables, including subscriber acquisitions, increased ad revenue, and possible rising, sub- subscri- rising subscription costs mm-hmm. will create a multiplier effect that far surpasses the small increases in Phono Records for royalty rates. The same forces that built today's music business are, wild, are widely expected to continue for the foreseeable future. Streaming will expand its download and CD sales trail off. Subscription services will find new paying customers, even in a mm-hmm. mature market such as the U.S., and raise prices. Maybe <laughs> raise prices. Doesn't seem like that yeah. right now, but maybe they will. Ad-supported we'll streaming will improve, too, as companies better monetize continuously growing free streaming hours. So I think that's important. That's, that's really absolutely. important. You and I talk about how it's our business, those streaming rates not rates, uh, fees, subscription mm-hmm. fees, should be higher, I think. And one thing I'll say about Glenn, and I've been reading his pieces for years and I've known him for years, is that most of the time he's right. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you don't want to bet against Glenn. Sometimes I read some of his things like this. And I'm like, well, it comes to, you know, maybe, you know, CD sales dropping off, downloads dropping off, and, you know, maybe new paying customers and, Raising those prices of subscription might sound a little um, ahead of its time, but I think he's right. I really do. I think these things are going to happen. I think um, we've talked a little bit about raising subscription prices. Um, I think we're going to get there. Yes. So they. So basically, Billboard constructed three scenarios based on U.S. recorded music streaming revenue, as reported by the RIAA. So they came up with a bull case where the average revenue per user, the ARPU, grows at 2% annually as streaming services pass along price increases without hurting subscriber acquisitions. Subscriptions limited to your revenue and ad-adopted and supported revenue each grow at 7% per year. They came up with a base case where ARPU remains flat, subscriptions limited to your revenue and ad-supported revenue uh, uh, each grew at 5% per year. And then they came okay. up with a bear case where ARPU falls at 2% annually as low-cost subscription growth outpaces price increases. Subscriptions, mm. limited tier revenue, and ad-supported uh, revenue each grow at 3% per year. So you've got a bear case, a base case, and a bull case. Mm-hmm. And and then they have a lovely, Glenn has done a lovely graph for us. Oh, isn't that great? Streaming royalties growth rate. And well, let's, yeah, let's describe that for our listeners because they can't see this. It's got three lines over time from 2022 to 2027. And each one of those cases that Mike uh, laid out. So the bear case, you know, goes from, let's, let's just take 2025 through 2027. You know, the bear case is like 5.4% to 7.3% to 9.3%. But then you got one that does a little better and that's the base case, you know, and that's closer to 17%, 23% and then up, you know, in 2027 to almost 30% increase. And then of course the bull case, you know, which is a little bit more optimistic where you go from almost 30%, 41% to f- almost 54%. Uh, in 2027. So I, I've printed this thing out. I think it's such a great chart to take a look at, and it'll be fun to kind of watch over the years to see, you know, is it going to go more for the bear, the bull, the base? We'll, we'll see. Well, but, you know, it's interesting to see that even in the worst case scenario, they're saying that by 2027, almost 10% increase in revenue. Right. To all the way up to in 2027, 
north of 50% increase in revenue. So that is fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And yeah. and and even in the middle it's about 30% so that is really good news if uh, if all of these it's things It's all positive, through. right? Even mm-hmm. if it's the worst case scenario here, yeah. it's still a, a lot of growth. And he goes on to say streaming services ability to acquire new customers and raise prices will be the major determinants of publisher streaming revenue, right? So it's acquiring new customers and raising prices. In 2021, the U.S. had an average of 84 million subscribers, you know, according to the RIAA. That was an increase of 8.5 million from 2020. So if subscriptions grow at 7% per year and ARPU, there it is, average user or revenue per user, if, uh, if that grows 2%, that's the bull case. Under Phono Records 4, which you'll hear us refer to as CRB4, um, settlement publishing revenue will grow in a cumulative almost 54% over the five-year term. At 5% subscription growth and zero improvement on ARPU, that's the base case, revenue will still grow to almost 30%, with nearly four-fifths of that coming from newly acquired customers. So the fine point on this piece is that, you know, the industry, we need to acquire new customers, which is certainly doable, mm-hmm. and raise prices, which the jury's still out. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And again, you know, HBO, Netflix... All of those folks, they have no qualms about raising rates. And it is What do they know that we don't? You know that, that and, people and, won't jump ship um, right. when they're locked into a subscription that they like? Yeah. It's not that much money to have, you know, eighty million tracks in your back pocket. No, it's it's it is it is a, the the bargain of bargains, you know. It it's and podcasts and now audiobooks oh, and yeah. and and it's 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 the greatest time for to be a music consumer than in history. Oh, isn't it? Yeah. So let's take <laughs> another swing at this, Jay. This this next one is from Music Business Worldwide, Sir, Sir Lucian Grange on music streaming growth, catalog deals and the balance of power with the DSPs. Ooh. I saw that headline and, you know, I was just rubbing my hands together like, "Oh, this is going to be good because anything from Music Business Worldwide is good." I mean, yes. these guys are probably the best in the business. They are world class. I've said before, you know, Tim Ingham, not only his writing, but when you listen to their podcast, which is amazing, I he's he's like perfect. He never makes a mistake and I <laughs> I don't know if he's Vulcan or if there's some <laughs> awesome. robotic thing going on there. Uh, Tim, I just think the world of you and your team over there, this particular piece, of course, was written by Murray Stassen, and mm-hmm. we've covered his writing many, many times. Uh, great stuff. Yep. And so, needless to say, uh, Sir Lucian Grange does not do many interviews. Uh, he might be counting his money. I don't know. He's been busy, Jay. He's been busy. Uh, <laughs> but when he does speak publicly, yeah. it's worth paying close attention to the man at the helm of the world's largest music rights company. So uh, they sat down with a Q&A session uh, this last Monday at the Goldman Sachs yeah. uh, Communicopia and Technology Conference in San Francisco. I was not at mm. that. I wasn't invited. Darn it. I'm Shocker. sure I got lost in the mail, my invitation. Sure it did. Uh, sure. But, but he, so he was, he was, they say he was grilled on his views about premium music <laughs> streaming's growth and the company's approach to catalog investments. Now, there was a couple of things in this article that I did not know that I found super fascinating. We're going to talk talk about it as we get a little bit closer. Oh, okay. Good. Um, All right. Uh, so his participation at that conference follows the publication at the end of July of UMG's Q2 2022 fiscal results, 
which is covering the three months to the end of June. Uh, total company revenues at UMG across recorded music publishing and other activities up by 17.3% year over year, uh, which, yeah. which throws you down at about $2.7 billion. Their recorded music subscription streaming Q2 revenue was up by 7% year over year, year, over year which is about a billion dollars. And it's recorded music ad-funded non-subscription Q2 streaming revenue up 15.6% year over year uh, for $371 million. So you're talking yeah. some pretty decent numbers right there. So they- Yeah, I mean, this is a big company with, you know, I used to work for this company. I have a great deal of respect for what they continue to um, achieve. It's been... Uh, Amazing. So, you know, elsewhere in the interview, Grange commented on the balance of power between the labels and the DSPs. And this really caught my attention. You know, this is about the growth potential of new platforms across social, gaming, and fitness. So at Music Business Worldwide, they listened in, and this is what they learned. And I'll take the first one. Uh, number one, Sir Lucian Grange is, quote-unquote, bullish about music streaming's growth potential. He was asked about his thoughts on music streaming's future growth prospects, to which he responded he's both confident and bullish about the opportunity. Well, what does that mean? He noted that in 2019, subscription penetration in the mature music markets was about one in five, while at the end of 2021, it was down to about one in four. Looking to the future, he says that there are various ways in which we can work with DSPs noting that the major DSPs like Apple Music, Amazon Music, and Spotify have all got different business models, and they've all got different strengths within their own markets and within the regions in which they operate. We must remember that music in the cloud means that music can, in fact, go everywhere. It's not transactional model anymore. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And he also sees UMG's role in the monetization of new platforms as the experimenter-in-chief, which I thought was an interesting phrase. Uh, Mm. They were talking about emerging platforms across categories like social media, gaming, and fitness. And he explained that Universal sees its role as the market leader, which they are, and is sort of an experimenter-in-chief. He said, when he took the company over 11 years ago or so, 95% of our digital business was with one customer. Now it's with a complete plethora of businesses and partners. Mm -hmm. He said that UMG's ability to monetize our IP and these vast catalogs, as well as the new hits, which is the catalog of tomorrow, has really been proved over this period, not only with streaming, but with categories like fitness and health. Who would have thought that we would have made money with these huge amounts of IP, with these millions of copyrights from fitness? We've now got fitness as a category and social in our top 10 categories in terms of revenue and yeah, partners. Peloton. Yeah, sure. exactly. So, uh, you know, and, I, and listen, to be fair, you do, not all of these things are going to be profitable, but you do have to kind of experiment and see what happens. I love that, experimenter yeah. in chief. That Absolutely. is amazing. Number three, music has always been relatively low cost yet very high quality entertainment category. You know, he says with talks of uh, a cost of living crisis and looming recession, Sir Lucian Grange was asked about his views on music streaming's resilience in the face of such economic headwinds. He noted that he's seen many downturns over the course of his career, both in the terms of macroeconomic as well as in terms of the crisis with piracy and file sharing. He argued that as a management team, 
we've been very adept over this period in terms of managing headwinds. I like that. Mm -hmm. And noted further that music is incredibly robust. He also added that music was robust in the recessions of, say, 1981, in the early 1990s. It's always been a relatively low-cost yet very high-quality entertainment category. Whatever is thrown at us, we'll cut our cloth accordingly, and we will invest in courting, accordingly. So, you know, they're involved in that game as well. Absolutely. The next one is the one I found particularly interesting. Uh, he says, Universal is not a financial player, in quotation marks. And when it comes to investing in catalogs, control is critical. Control is critical. <laughs> Commenting on Universal's capital allocation, he, he argued that UMG is not a financial player. We're not an instrument. He added, we leave income streams, royalty streams to others. Control is critical. He said further that UMG has done very few deals, but that the deals UMG has done are the best of the best, where something has defined history or a culture. So now he starts talking about, of course, mm -hmm. that acquisition to the publishing rights to Bob Dylan's songwriting catalog, which they did back in December of 2020, one of the biggest acquisitions in UMG's history. Uh, they also did the Neil Diamond one. But one of the things when he's talking about control, he said what what he means by uh, control is no approvals, meaning from the artist. He cited Bob Dylan as a test case for this, adding, when you looked at when we bought the Bob Dylan catalog, he managed his business in the United States, and I think he had four or five administrators. And the answer was normally no, which if you've, if you've worked in the music business, you know that Bob Dylan was notoriously very shy about licensing anything. He said, we built into our view... Uh, and with our networks and our people that we could do things with the Bob Dylan catalog where we didn't have to ask anybody other than ourselves, was it appropriate and was it profitable? Was that and one of the things that you were... Um unaware of because I certainly wasn't aware of that. I was not aware of that either. He said, and he gave us the right to do that. That's not just about the check. It's actually about trusting the right people. It's assumed that we will own these assets as long as the company exists. So again, what he's re referencing is that part of that Bob Dylan deal is that Bob yeah. doesn't have any, any approval rights. It, which is remarkable. It's I a game changer. It's a game changer. I did not That's know totally that. That's totally unusual. So and when you so yeah, so when you're looking at at the value of those assets, you have to take into a, into account that they were notoriously stingy when it came to licensing. And so whatever numbers you looked at in the past will not reflect the numbers of the no, future at all. It's a different value. It's a whole different value proposition. And the last one, number five, labels and DSPs. And for those that don't know, DSP, digital service providers, Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, Deezer, et cetera. Labels and DSPs are critically important to each other. You don't hear this a lot in the music press, but it is so true. Um, touching on Universal's relationship with the music streaming services, Grange explained that it's inevitably very constructive. Looking to the past, when streaming was becoming a mass market proposition, Grange noted that we brought Spotify to a global market. He added that it was an idea that was working in Sweden. At the time, it was an anti-file sharing, anti-piracy advertising wrapper, and you know they've got 185 million premium subscribers, right? Here we are, commenting on the balance of power specifically. He said, I don't see this as a thing of a zero-sum game of balance of power. We're in business with each other. We're critically important 
to each other. So I think that's a great way to leave this piece is that I, I like what he's saying. I think it all makes a lot of sense. I do think that it's a very symbiotic relationship, and I think it doesn't have to be adversarial. He realizes that they both uh, need each other. There's different uh, revenue streams. And again, it goes along to what you were saying about this episode kind of being about you know, this uh, revenue and how to make this business healthier. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, the whole Bob Dylan thing was fascinating. <laughs> I'm like, Whoa. Oh, yeah. It makes sense now why it does they would make pay sense. that much money. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and the and the potential profit in the future, you know, when you yeah. it'll be interesting to see how they uh you know how they handle that because that that again, again, you know, they're deciding what's appropriate and of course they're a publicly traded company. And so yeah. you know, it's but that's just the way the business is. So anyway, our last yeah. story Jay from Hypebot, seven important takeaways from the DIY Musician Conference 2022 happened uh Late last month in Austin, Texas, and I was not yeah, there. I I you were gone. not there. I know, me too. Yeah, I really wanted to go to that. And this this piece in Hypebot is really kind of a recap of some notes, um, some things that uh, Chris Robley of uh, of CD Baby, uh, who puts on the DIY Musician Conference, um, that he had, you know, some takeaways that he had. Yeah. So one of them, of course, is automation and personalization don't have to be at odds. There are countless tools to help you automate your communications with fans. It might sound cold and robotic at first, but there are ways to personalize your automated messages with video, audio, yes. and more. Super important. You know, as your audience grows, you Couldn't won't agree you, more. You, it, and it's it just makes sense because, I mean, it, you know, when you say automate it, it sounds so harsh yeah robots that's you know, right AI. it's so confusing oh, everybody's afraid of what they don't understand yes. i get that but this is not something to be afraid of it's yes. just a tool well and this and the next one too is something that is so universal basically which is it's time to rediscover what makes your artistry unique if you are an artist there's so many people out there releasing music today in order to stand out you have to really lean into your hook as a music creator get weird be you define your brand, and then figure out how to reinforce it with every song, post, and performance. We talk about yeah. Ghost, Jay, all the time yeah. because yeah. those guys have been doing it for a long time. And it, it, well, it, 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 it's, they really epitomize this sort of uh, notion. Yeah, and it's, it's a conversation we have with artists every single day at every single level. And it comes down to finding your tribe if you're a developing artist. Yeah. You know, your narrative, whether you're a superstar artist, you have to have a narrative for... You know, not only yourself as an artist, but every album, every track um, has a narrative that's attached to it. And there's got to be some level of integrity. It's got to be genuine because people can smell a fake uh, a mile away. The third one, TikTok may be your biggest opportunity today. And Chris says that, you know, to some of you, it probably sounds obvious. But for many DIY artists, TikTok has seemed like an exclusive realm, you know, of trending music and youth culture memes. But it's a lot more than that, you know. And at the conference, they heard from multiple artists who had achieved viral success for niche music and making small tweaks to their video content. And again, this is something that in our almost daily conversations with developing artists, this is spot on. Absolutely. The next one is really a universal thing, which is just get started. Just say you're done. So basically, this is kind of the notion that 
you know, you can't keep staring at an endless to-do list. There comes a point where you have to just get to the first thing on your list, do it. And sometimes, especially when you're songwriting, a song you think is good enough could change someone else's life. The one thing you've checked off your list today may be a bigger achievement than you realize since it's a building block for something bigger. But where I see this a lot is, you know, we have the recording tools that exist today. If you are recording at home or on your system or even professionally, you know, there's this tendency to just, it's not perfect. I want one more. What if I put cellos in here? What if I, uh, you know, is that synth too loud? You agonize over details. It's, it's, it's easy to start things. It's hard to finish things. And it's super important to finish things and get stuff out. Don't That's agonize over it. Yeah. Yeah. We see yeah. 100%. Number five, music's value isn't just about money. You know, the industry focuses so much on success metrics. And we talked about this, you know, on our panel, we talked about this on a previous um, article here that, you know, there are all sorts of metrics to measure success and, and, you know, it could be TikTok views, but, but Chris points out that their conference opened and closed with two talks that went much deeper in that, you know, Kevin Bruner spoke about a house concert where the host told his band, one of their songs, which wasn't even, you know, in the top 50 songs of their catalog in terms of streams, literally saved his life. What is that song worth for at least one listener? Everything. And it goes to what you just mentioned. You know, success isn't just, you know, I want to be rich and famous. You know, there's so many different things that will tell you that you are successful. And that's defined by every artist. I think that that point is key. Yes. And of course, they also mentioned genres don't matter. He said they matter from a marketing perspective, but he said good music is good music. And at that conference, at least, uh, you know, no matter what the attendees' normal listening preferences were, they were very supportive of everyone. And I think that's, you know, we've talked a lot about this. If you looked at my playlist or your playlist, it's all over the map. And that's yeah, really absolutely. the way people listen to music. And, that's, and I think they, they've always done that, Mike, because yeah. I remember, you know, I used to work at Tower Records. And, you know, remember the movie like High Fidelity where you would go over to somebody's house and kind of judge them by their record collection or whatever. But what you would notice is that not many people just listened to country. Not many people just listened to jazz. You know, if I were to go and look at your record collection, and I kind of know what's in your record collection, but there are things in there from every genre, every mood, things that people wouldn't expect. You know, you look at mine, it's same thing. And I think that that is important that we don't get siloed because I believe that came from radio mm -hmm. trying to focus in on a certain group. And with streaming, they modeled themselves after radio, but then they started doing these things like pollen and some of these playlists that are really built on a, a mood or on a demographic. And I think that's really where we're, we're headed. Um, but I hate being, you know, put in a box or when you're telling somebody about a new artist, well, what do they sound like? Well, it sounds like, you know, and you're putting it in a box. It's just, it's great music. Right. Absolutely. The last one too is, is a universal comment for just humans in general, which is you need to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. You don't grow unless you push past some limitations. And uh, I guess they had a, a thing called Songwriter Shark Tank there where you were critiqued by pros in front of the entire audience. That, I mean, I wow. get I That's get like hives. standing there naked. Absolutely. But, you know, and, and you and I started our, our musical journeys in bands and playing on stage. And you remember those, how hard it was, that how nervous you were at first. 
Um, you know what? I think in life you have to put yourself in absolutely a situations. One hundred percent. The only doubt. growth that I've ever made through through my business is through uncomfortable situations, yes. and I, I firmly believe that powering through. Uh, there's so many rewards that you get from that. And the last sentence of this article, I thought what you know Chris said. Cheers to everyone at the conference who did something scary. Yeah. And and I would say that too. I think that is amazing. Absolutely. Well, Jay, let us wrap up number 110, shall we? To finish what's left of our weekend. Thanks everyone for listening. Boy, Jay and I really, really, really appreciate it. So uh, on behalf of the hardest working man in show business, Jay Gilbert and myself, we say thank you. Have a great week and we will see you next time on the Your Morning Coffee Podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.